Well, if you would then turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, Romans 13, verses 8 to 14. Romans 13, beginning at verse 8, the end of the chapter. And following this, we will sing together the Gloria Patri. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, Do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. The Heidelberg Catechism has brought us to the point after considering our sin and misery and how we may be delivered from our sin and misery to the place where we're working through and thinking about how is it that we might show our gratitude to God for the great deliverance that he has given to us. And... uh, Today, in this particular Lord's Day and the ones that will follow, he, they're digging into the Ten Commandments as a, a pattern, a method, a way for us to express our thankfulness. And what I want to do today and, and in, in the next sermon as well is to look at the law more generally, not this specific uh, Lord's Day, not this specific content, but to look at the law of God and the life of the Christian more generally have us think about that and the significance of that because it's very easy to get um, to be have be misunderstood Uh, and then we will work our way through the Ten Commandments perhaps in a little slower fashion than the Catechism does but we'll cover similar material the idea of the law and its place in the life of the Christian of the New Covenant Christian has been a hotly debated topic ever since Christ came. You see, and as you read the, the history in the book of Acts, that this became a very intense conflict. And uh, we, it kind of culminates, at least in one pronouncement in Acts 15, in the, the pronouncement of the uh, Council of Jerusalem. <clears throat> but you have this conflict that's going on. One entire New Testament epistle, Galatians, is devoted to this topic. How should the law be applied in the life of the Christian? What is its role? What was its role in Old Testament? What's its role in the New Testament? And uh, that conflict has continued throughout the history of the church. Uh, And even in recent decades among Presbyterian and Reformed 
folks who you think might have an agreement because we have a confession that teaches us certain things. Uh, There's been raging conflict in our own denomination. Uh, But at any rate, I want to try and have us think about the, the, the role of the law and the thinking about the, the law, the relationship of the law to us, to the gospel, as we uh, reflect upon that. And um, there are three proposals or three ways people have used or misused the law of God in the life of the, of the believer. The first is legalism. Legalism is the statement that we, in keeping the law, can gain God's favor. Or in keeping the law, we may keep God's favor. But as we reflected when we thought about good works last week, there is no good work you can do to gain God's favor. There is no good work you can do to keep God's favor. It's all a gift that comes to us by grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that was part of the conflict in the first century is that the Judaizers, of course the Pharisees before them, were demanding perfect obedience to the law and with the relation to the Judaizers, some of which were Jews that had believed in Christ, they felt like, no, you got to keep the law and Jesus uh, so, so Gentiles had to become Jews before they could be fully Christian. And there was that debate that went on and Paul said, no, we, the law um, is only, uh, must be used lawfully and that's an unlawful use of the law. Legalism is not possible. Another way the law was misused is antinomianism, which simply means against the law. It was those who taught and teach that we have no connection to the Old Testament law. That was for Old Testament Israel and has nothing to do with the new covenant believer. And that's wrong. Uh, Turn turn to Romans 6.14. This is one verse that some who promote this point of view will use to try to show that We are not connected to the law, but we live only in grace. So Romans 6.14, Paul writes, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. And so they'll say, see, see, we're not under the law, we're only under grace. So the law has nothing to do with us. But we can't tear a verse out of context and make it say what we want it to say. We have to look at this verse as any verse in the context in which it is. So back up for a few verses to verse 12. Paul says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So the word law in verse 14, is that talking about the Mosaic law? And the answer is no. 
He's not talking about the law of Moses and how we relate to it. If you want to deal with that, you've got to go to another text. What, he's, what Paul is building here is the contrast between being under the law or the dominion of sin or being under the law or the dominion of God. And it's that law. You're not under the law of sin any longer. You're under grace. So the contrast is between the dominion you experienced when you were not a Christian and the dominion you're you're supposed to experience and do experience and live out as a Christian. And if you're not convinced, we continue on a little bit. Verse 15, of course, you know, those who don't want the law, a part of us will send, we'll, we're, we're, we have grace so we can do whatever we want to do. No. Verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You see, the point of Romans 6.14 has nothing to do with the Mosaic law. It has everything to do with your bondage to sin or your bondage to Christ. You're a slave. Are you under the law of sin or are you under the law of Christ? So getting rid of the law, antinomianism isn't, isn't a good choice. It's not helpful. A third way to use the law lawfully is to see it as a standard for godly living. Uh, there is a sense in which we're no longer under the law of Moses. We're not, no longer under the law as a, an instrument of our condemnation. Uh, Romans 8, 1, Paul will say, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We're no longer under the law as a a governing civil authority. Uh, That is, it was for the nation of Israel and had its purpose and served well. But we still are connected to the law as a standard of righteousness as a pattern of living, as a way in which we can love God and show our love for the Lord in living out according to his purpose and character for our lives. So the Ten Commandments are an expression of the unchanging character of God, and it's also a description of the moral conduct that God wants you and I as his children to follow and to live. Uh, It has been summarized by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as the the attitude of love, loving God, loving our neighbor. Even as the Hudberg Catechism shows the division of the law, the first table of the law toward God, the second table of the law towards our fellow man. So if you turn to Matthew 22, one of the conversations Jesus had with the Pharisees was about this. Matthew 22, verse 34. 
In Matthew twenty-two thirty-four, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the summary of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments is in a sense a summary of the moral uh, character of God and of the law in general. The summary of the Ten Commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so you might get a friend who said, well, that's all we need. We just need to love one another. We don't need the law. We just need to love one another. Uh, For a a fair number of years, I would go to a conference in Shreveport, uh, uh, the Founders Conference there with uh, Andrew Kulaga, one of our members. And on one of these conferences, the speaker was Walter Chantry, wonderful man, uh, I learned he recently passed away, uh, good books, uh, and he was the keynote speaker, and he was preaching, and in one of his sermons, he gave this particular illustration. He had someone he knew that just said, no, we don't need the law, we just need love, 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 that's all we need is love. And so he said, so you'd probably agree with Paul's statement, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Yes, yes, that's it, I got it. That's what I, I agree with, I agree with that. And then he, would, then he said, and the next verse is, obey the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. What is it to love one another? It's to obey God's commands. How do I know you love properly? Because you live according to God's law. That is love. That's true love. That's expressing the goodness and greatness of the wonder of the love of God. I'd like to have you take your hymnal and turn to the back to page 859. I may not read all of this to you. But as we think about the Old Testament law, there, our confession of faith helps us to understand, so it's page 859, the different elements of the Law of Moses. And it it helps us to appreciate that there are three elements to the Law of Moses. And so you're on page 859, uh, the Law of God, paragraph three. Uh, Besides this law, commonly called moral, that's the Ten Commandments, God was pleased to give the people of Israel as a church under age ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship, prefiguring Christ, and uh, I'll quit reading there so I don't run out of time. So 
One aspect of the Old Testament law was the ceremonial law. All the sacrifices, all the ceremonial system, all of which is fulfilled in Christ. And so in that sense, is no longer part of our life. Uh, in ver- paragraph four, it says, to them also a body politic, he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any other now further than the general equity thereof may require. So the civil law for the theocratic nation of Israel were given to them to govern their nation. And we don't have to carry all that over except for the general principles. And the typical illustration used about that is the law of God in the, in the civil law required you to build a railing around your roof. And you think, well, no one's on my roof. I, what do I, why do I need a railing around our roof? Well, the, the general principle is you shall not kill. And you love your neighbor by protecting them. So we put banisters on stairways and so forth. It's the, the, the principle we, it still applies, but the specific law has uh, been gone with the body, with the, with the state of Israel. And then just the beginning of paragraph five, but the moral law doth bind all uh, as well as justified persons as others to the obedience thereof. So the Ten Commandments, the moral law, they continue to have an abiding application. So how is the law to be used? There are three uses of the law that we reflect on and think about that are part of our thankfulness to the Lord. The first use of the law is what's referred to as a civil or social use. That's the law of God has application in society in general. Our society would go better if we followed the law of God, if we applied it into our lives. The um, social character of our society would be much better if we followed that law. A fellow by the name of John R. DeWitt, DeWitt, a, a seminary professor of mine, he writes concerning this particular use, here again is an aspect of the truth which needs to be preached daily and hourly in our present social situation. In a t- time of rampant ungodliness, when there seems no longer to be any clear grasp of absolute and normative moral principles, when the Lord's day is trampled upon and human life is cheap, easily taken, It's being taken, justified even by the highest court in the land. When God is mocked and his precepts defied, and there is a very danger on precisely this account of a divine abandonment of our whole social order to the consequences of our greed, lusts, and uncleanness, surely the Church of Christ needs to declare with unmistakable conviction and vigor that God will not be mocked, and that his holy law cannot be set aside with impunity. There's a cultural use of the law that's uh, one of the uses of the law. This second use of the law is what sometimes described as a tutorial or a teaching. It's a convicting use of the law. 
a purpose of the law very much in our lives is to convict us of sin. By the law, Paul said, is the knowledge of sin. As he would say in Galatians, that the law leads us to Christ. Now he had in mind also the law governing Israel, protected them and guided them up until the Messiah should come. But nevertheless, that statement we can apply spiritually. The law convicts us of sin under the power and work of the Holy Spirit and drives us to Christ. How do you know of your sin and your misery? It's because God says, you shall not, or you shall. And the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. The, the, um, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. And the Holy Spirit convicts us that we have many other gods before him. Many other affections. God says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And yet, how often is his name taken in vain? Maybe even by us. He says, you shall not kill. Well, I'm not going to go murder anybody, but do you protect the life of those around you? Are you concerned for them? You shall not covet. Are you satisfied? Are you content with the things that you have? The second use of the law, very, very important for us, is is God uses it to convict us of sin. And we need that every day. We need that work of the law every day. To drive us back to Christ. And the third use of the law is what, in one sense, I've already been talking about, is the ethical use of the law. That is, applying it to our lives, living out our Christian life in in the overarching guidance of that. Luther struggled with that particular use of the law because he wanted to guard so jealously that we are justified by faith alone. But he, even, he, Luther himself, would believe that Christians should live a godly life. Uh, Calvin was more the one who promoted and taught and encouraged the third use of the law. And the Sermon on the Mount promotes the third use of the law. It's that the law applies to our lives right now. And guides us in the paths of righteousness. And to put it in the terms of the Heidelberg Catechism, this is a way we show God our thanks. Thank you, God, for having mercy on me. So let me love you more than any other God. Let me care for my neighbor. Let me be content with what I have. John R. DeWitt again, the law not only leads us to Christ, it is also our blessed and holy guide to the life of obedience and faith. Another writer, the moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments is the sphere or horizon within which the Holy Spirit sanctifies and enables the true believer to persevere. We need the direction and this law, this the law provides. It's not a gospel-less life. 
The law drives us to the gospel. The law convicts us of our sin and we are driven to Christ and in him we find grace, mercy, and peace. And together they form uh, the word of God to us to guide us in our Christian life. And it's this that provides the element for our gratitude. Uh, John says the law is not a burden. That doesn't mean it's not easy. I mean, that doesn't mean it's easy. doesn't mean it's not a challenge sometimes. But what that means, when John says the law is not a burden, he's not telling you that it doesn't sometimes tell you uh, pursue obedience when it's difficult. What he's saying is for the Christian... The one who loves God, who loves God more than anything else. We want to please him. We want to honor him. It becomes our delight to do that. And we do that to show our gratitude for his mercy and his deliverance from our sin and misery. May you and I live lives of gratitude to our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the abundant love you have given to us through your word to give us not only the word of the gospel, but the word of the law that drives us to Christ and shows us the path of life and hope and mercy. I pray, Lord, that you will Fill us with a great sense of gratitude for the mercy we have come to know and enjoy. And that you, O Lord, might um, pour out your abundant blessings upon us. And help us to live in a way that would honor you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.